And so here is this man, King Solomon, and many people think Ecclesiastes is him writing towards the end of his life, reflecting on all that he's lived out, reflecting on all the different things that have happened in his life. And so you see this wise man who's had all these different things, and he kind of gets to this point where it almost seems like a little like depressed. It almost seems a little like, wow, this isn't the Bible. But it's important when we look at this book that we don't, uh, we don't cherry pick a verse here or pick out a verse there and say, oh, I love this verse, I like that verse. We need to look at Ecclesiastes as, or consider it typically with the whole book in mind so we don't walk away confused or say, why is this in Scripture? But with that said, we don't have time to look at the whole book of Ecclesiastes, so we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2 and really the book of Ecclesiastes is going to show us that everything in life apart from Christ, without Christ, ultimately becomes meaningless. And we're going to see in chapter 2 a man that had everything a person could ever desire. And as he has all this stuff, he's amassed this just empire of stuff, he gets to this point where he says it's all meaningless. He feels dissatisfied, not content. This is a new year, which is a new time for new ambitions, new goals, new goals that we're going to tackle, things we're going to change about ourselves. Maybe you're saying, man, I want to grow my business or buy a new house, uh, find love this year or trade my car so I can get the latest uh, brand new car. Whatever you're setting out to do in this new year, this is my main idea for the morning. That there's nothing you can do in 2023 to find satisfaction or fulfillment without Jesus Christ. If you, as a Christian, non-Christian, wherever you are, if you want to find satisfaction this year, it will only be through a relationship with Jesus. It will only be through daily dying to yourself and seeking Jesus. And so we're going to be in chapter 2. And I will say this. I, I'm preaching from the NLT this morning. Not my favorite translation in the world. I prefer like ESV, CSB, NASB, all over this. But it just translates this passage really well. So it saves us a little bit of time for some, some groundwork. So please bear with me this morning. But before we dive in, let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak to us. Dear Lord, would you move in mighty ways through your word? Would your Spirit speak to us? Uh, would your spirit challenge us? Would your spirit excite us for what this new year could be? As we look at a, a challenging passage from King Solomon and from your Holy Spirit, would you just comfort us? Would you encourage us? And would you speak to us? I pray all this in your name. Amen. I will read from the first 11 verses to start us out. This is King Solomon. He says this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and filled them with all kinds of trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and other people were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Verse 10 says, anything I wanted, I would take. 
I denied myself no pleasure. I found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And so Solomon in chapter 2 is going to show us these different areas that he lived out, that he experienced, that he tried to find satisfaction in, and he's going to show us that none of them worked. And the first area, the first arena that he's going to play around in is pleasure. He pursues pleasure. We live in a pleasure-driven culture. So many decisions that people make today are driven primarily by pleasure. They're making a decision based on what will please me, what will bring me happiness, what will be good for me. Even in the church, even Christians, something could be anti-gospel, not biblical, and a church or a Christian will still make a decision based on how they feel. Well, it feels right, so I'm going to do it. Well, this is pleasing to me. This is what I want to do, so I'm going to live this out. I'm going to do this. And Solomon begins to tell us all the things that he experienced. Solomon lived one of the most pleasurable, lavish lifestyles that you could ever live. He says that he experienced great laughter, that he cheered himself with wine. He says that he tried foolishness. We know that Solomon, one of the wisest people to ever live, says, you know what? I was struggling so much to find meaning, I decided to act like a stupid person. And even that didn't work. He said he built huge homes. He had these gardens and parks, and he, he filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. And some writers would point out that Solomon, in some ways, almost recreated the Garden of Eden with its beauty, with its, all the fruit trees, all of it. But even that wasn't enough to satisfy him. He had servants to carry out whatever need he had. He owned large herds and flocks more than anybody who had ever lived in Jerusalem before him. He had incredible wealth. He had these great singers probably serenading him all the time wherever he went. He had all of these things. And in verse 10, he kind of summarizes his lifestyle. He says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. That is a lavish lifestyle. To be able to say, I want that, I'm going to get it. I feel like I need this, I'm going to get it. It's the lifestyle that so many of us want. To be able to get to the point where we say, I can get whatever I want, whenever I want it. The pop singer, Ariana Grande, not the best theologian, uh, but she says this in one of her songs. She says, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. And that is the mindset of so many people today, Christian and non-Christian. We strive to be able to say, I get whatever I want. It's what we work for. If we think about retirement, when people talk about them uh, retiring, what do they talk about, their, their plans afterwards? I, I seldom hear people say, you know what, when I'm going to retire, I'm going to sell all my possessions and go live with the homeless in downtown Raleigh. Never hear that. Oh, you know what, when I retire at, at 65, or man, I'm retiring early, I'm going to go be a missionary the rest of my days. Oh, no, I, I'm going to go take a, a, a volunteer job at a pregnancy center or a children's home. No, it's about pleasure, right? We talk about, oh, I'm going to go live my days out at the beach, or I'm going to go take those vacations that I couldn't take when I had kids or when I was working. We're driven by pleasure. If we were to ask our kids, honestly, why do you like Christmas so much? Would they say, oh, I love celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's amazing. Or would they say, I love the presents under the tree. We're all, at all these different ages and all these different seasons of life, tempted to be driven by pleasure. Tempted to say, I do what I do to have happiness. 
But as Solomon, the one who's had it all, reflects on his life, he says, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, he says it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. The man who never denied himself anything is telling you and telling me that I had it all. He did it bigger than you or I could ever do it and said it did not satisfy him, that it ultimately felt meaningless, pointless. Other translations would say it was vanity. It was done in vain. There was no point. It didn't satisfy him. And so as he keeps writing, he moves on to the topic of wisdom. He says, pleasure doesn't work, so what about wisdom? Because Solomon was the wisest guy ever. So verses 12 through 17 say this. He says, so I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than the darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but the fool walks in the dark. Yet I saw the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is also meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. So he sets off to compare wisdom and foolishness, and he clearly says wisdom is better than foolishness. Teenagers, don't get it twisted. It's better to be wise than stupid, okay? But he says it's much better for you. Your life will be better. You can see in the dark. I've laid Jude down in the nursery before. It's all been pitch black, and I've run into one of his toys and set off some music or something. It's hard to see in the dark. And that's what it's like to be a fool. You can't see. He says wisdom is better than foolishness. But there's this issue. There's a problem. Both the fool and the wise person die. They both have the same ending. You can live the wisest, best lifestyle. You can make the smartest financial decisions. Invest in this. Don't invest in that. Buy this. Do this. Don't go out to the party on New Year's Eve. Right? Don't do all these crazy things. And then you can go out and be a fool. Do whatever you want. Live however you want. And he says, both of these people, at the end of their life, die. They go to the same place. He says, yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. <laughs> they both will die. You almost get a picture of an a unbeliever, unbeliever's mindset here. Because Solomon isn't thinking with eternity in mind. He's not thinking with the cross on his mind. He's thinking about just everything that happens in this life under the sun. It's a theme that's repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. And so if you're a Christian, this is kind of how I would approach unbelieving friends. If this life is everything, if this is where it all ends, what's the point? What's the point of being good or being bad? What's the point of doing stuff for other people or just being selfish? I've heard people say, what's the difference between living as a, a Mother Teresa or a Hitler? Because at the end of the day, we all die. Solomon says, everybody's ultimately forgotten. Maybe some people we remember for a couple hundred years, but there's so many great people that have lived throughout history that you and I don't even know who they are. No clue what they've done. So he says, what's the point? He says, I came to hate everything that's done under the sun. It was troubling to him. He again says it's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. If this world is all you're truly living for, if eternity is not on your mind, if the cross of Jesus Christ is not real, then what is the point of life? Ultimately, truly, 
This is a sobering thought. It's kind of depressing if you think about it without Christ in your mind. What's the point of life if we all just die? To be here for 75, 80 years, do a little good, do a little bad, be forgotten? She says, what's the point? The wisest man in the world gets to the end of his life and says, my wisdom did not satisfy me. Then he moves on to the, the third and last area that he considers in chapter two. He considers the area of work. Maybe the work, his accomplishments can satisfy him. This section is especially helpful for those in the room who are tempted to devote themselves solely to their work. Ivan Provan, a, a, a writer, says that this section could be labeled the confessions of a workaholic. Some of us are so devoted to our work we put in long hours, we work on the weekends, we take time away from family to work. We think about how we can take our business to, to greater heights, how I can move up the ladder at my job, how I can be the best, hardest worker. We're always thinking about work. Some people work, 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 work to get impressive toys, to get a nice house, to get all these wonderful things, but they work so much that they never truly get to enjoy those things. And so Solomon is writing about this, this attitude of work, and he ultimately points out that work, apart from Jesus, if work is your everything, it's ultimately meaningless. We know work is good. Again, teenagers, don't get it twisted. But if work is your everything, again, what's the point? He says in verses 18 through 23, I came to hate all my hard work. Parents, listen to this. This is, this is kind of funny. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And yet who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Solomon is a man, like I said earlier, who built an empire, who accomplished so much, who outworked you and me. He built the temple for the Lord, this beautiful temple. And then he built a house that was bigger than the temple of the Lord. It took him 13 years to make it. Built this beautiful house. Very accomplished. Very wealthy. He worked and gathered so much for him. And so many people today are tempted to find their fulfillment, their satisfaction in what they do, what they contribute. But here Solomon gets to the point where he hates his work. Why is that? Because once he dies... He's leaving everything he's worked for into somebody else's hands. He says, I've done all the work, and now I leave it for somebody else. As I was studying this, one writer said that you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't take what you have in this life with you. You leave it with somebody else. What you've treasured in this life, what you treasure, what I treasure, there's no way of guaranteeing the person that you leave it to is going to value it. There's no guarantee that it's going to be their precious baby that they look after and that they love. 
There's no guarantee that what is so important to you now will be important to somebody else in 50 years. If you think about it this way, what is your treasure right now could be your grandkids' trash one day. They could see that nice car that you have right now and say, oh, grandma and grandpa drove that? Or they could walk into your house in 50 years and say, oh, this is where grandpa lived? This is the house he tells other stories about? Because we're not guaranteed that our treasure will last. The things of this life can be destroyed. And the people that inherit it, they might either misuse it, like the prodigal son who spent all of his inheritance, or they might just not appreciate it. I was thinking of the Egyptian pharaohs and the kings who, when they die, they were buried in their coffin. They were mummified, but they were buried with all of their treasures. And so I began to read some articles about tomb raiders, and this was the first sentence of one article. It said, the tombs of these great kings and nobles of Egypt were built to safeguard the corpse and the possessions of the deceased for eternity. They thought they were taking it with them. And he said, and yet, while many have endured, their bodies have endured for thousands of years, their contents often disappeared relatively quickly. You can't take it with you. And someone else is going to come behind you and steal it and probably turn it around and sell it. They don't care what happens to it. And so Solomon here is reflecting on all that he has, and he's saying, this empire, it's meaningless if this is it. If this is all that I have, it's meaningless. This disease of being a workaholic, I think, is common in America, right? So that's part of some of the beauty of America is that you can come here and you can build wealth and prosperity for yourself. You can build a business. It's the land of opportunity. And so some of us are trying to take advantage of that at all times. Sometimes we forsake our own health, our family, our relationships, our church, all for the pursuits of working. But we can learn from Solomon here that when we work apart from Christ or when we, we get the, the, the uh, I guess, the, the degree of importance of our work wrong, when we put that over Christ, it becomes meaningless. It becomes something that cannot satisfy us. So as we begin to look at this passage, like I said, it can be depressing. So we say, where is Christ? Where is Jesus? And I'll close with this. We're getting done early today, unless Matt sings a bunch afterwards. Uh, that's a joke. You can laugh. I'm just messing with him. Where is Christ? As we reflect on Solomon's life, he lived out so many of the desires that you and I have, if we're honest, for stuff, for things, for pleasure, for wisdom, success and work. He did it all, yet he found himself feeling as though his life was meaningless. Why is this? It's because our souls hunger and thirst for something greater than possessions something greater than the things in this world. Our soul longs for something greater. I think the Holy Spirit is showing us in this chapter that the things of this world cannot quench the thirst of your soul. We need something greater than the things that are created in this world. We need the creator. Our soul longs for Christ. You can see Solomon writing here, and really what he needs is Jesus. John 6, 35 is what I've been reflecting on in comparing to this passage. As Jesus is preaching to a group of people, they're hungry, they're wanting food, and Christ says this to them. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We all experience physical hunger. 
But spiritual hunger is far greater. Spiritual hunger is the thing that we try to do everything to fill. We try to go to pleasure. We try to go to wisdom. We try to go to relationships or work and say, I need to satisfy me. But it's only Jesus that can satisfy our spiritual hunger. The baby who was in a manger and the man who died on a cross as our savior is the only one, the only one that you can drink from, the only one that you can eat his bread and never hunger, never thirst again. Your soul desires Christ. But your sin will make you desire the things of this world. And that is, that is the conflict in so much of life. So who will I seek? What will I seek? What will this year, 2023, be about for me? Maybe you've gotten to the point in your life where you're saying, what is the point? Why am I here? Maybe you've begun to felt like all that you've done in this life is meaningless. I would say it's probably for two reasons. One, your soul has never truly been satisfied by the salvation that Jesus provides. If you're in here today and feeling stuck, feeling empty, feeling hopeless, I might say it's this. You have never truly experienced Jesus. You've never been saved by him, covered by his blood, had your sins atoned for and made into a new creation. And because of that, you walk every single day feeling empty. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has put eternity in all of our hearts. You long for something greater than this world, and you will never be satisfied until Christ fills you, until he saves you, until he sanctifies you through what he's done on the cross. Maybe you're a Christian feeling like life's a little meaningless right now. I would imagine it's because you've put something else in the middle of your universe that isn't Christ. Because just like the earth orbits around the sun, we are meant to orbit around Christ. But when you remove Christ and put something else there, your life begins to fall apart. When you put pleasure there, when you put work, when you put a relationship instead of Jesus, life doesn't work how it should. Human flourishing doesn't happen. It's only when our eyes are focused on Jesus. And I hope you don't hear me saying that, that this sermon is all about how pleasure is bad, wisdom is dumb, you shouldn't go to work because what's the point? Because that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. Pleasure is good, it's a gift from God. Going to the beach, kicking back, feeling the warm breeze, the sun beating down on you, stepping into the water, that's good. That's a gift from God. And when we're focused on Christ, that can be used to pull us closer to Christ. The wisdom is good. It's good to be wise. James says that wisdom comes from above. But if wisdom is your everything, if wisdom is you think it's your ticket out, or it makes you better than other people, What's your wisdom? It's meaningless. Work is good. God has created us to work. When he made Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden to what? To work. You and I are made to work. But work's not made to be our God. It's not made to be our number one devotion. Then when work becomes everything that we do, it becomes meaningless. For me, as in ministry, if ministry becomes everything, over my relationship with Christ, over my relationship with my family. What is my ministry? What's the point of it? 
These are good things that God has given us. They're just not God. And they're just supposed to be lower down on the list of priorities that we have. And so as we look at 2023, all that you want to accomplish, all that you want to do, all that you have on your, your New Year resolutions or whatever you want to make happen for yourself, just remember, if you're doing it apart from Christ, you might be working for something that's ultimately meaningless. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I wasted it, building an empire but forsaking my God forsaking my family, forsaking my church. This is not to say these things are bad, but to say Jesus is better. And he's meant to be at the center of your life. So my challenge is this. It's a small challenge. Well, it's not a small challenge. It's a hard one. But it's just this. To remember that Jesus Christ is the only one who is worth your time and devotion this year. Devotion. Work is good, pleasure is good, but don't devote yourself to it. Devote yourself to Christ. You will not flourish in this life unless Jesus is your main priority. You set yourself up for a year of disappointment if your eyes are not fixated on Jesus. You set yourself up for a life of anxiety or stress if life's all about work. You set yourself up for a life of highs and lows if pleasure is everything for you. You set yourself up for a lonely life if you think your wisdom is what's going to make you better. I just want to end by reading Galatians 2.20. It's not on the screen. It says this. This is a New Testament view of what our life should look like. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this year, would we set out to live for God, to live for the Son of God who gave himself up, up for us? Go on vacations, work hard, Read books, gain wisdom, but don't forget Christ. Don't remove him from the center of your life. Let's pray.